It is providential that the weekend that I come back, it is scheduled that I preach on the communal practice of love. Some of you know that I have been uh, yearly taking a sabbatical in order to plan the sermons for the coming year. And, I, and the Lord showed me what we would be preaching on um, for an entire year. And I've got them up, planned up till next August. But some of you know also I went away to look at the log in my eye, to do the self-examination necessary to love God better. And here's what he said to me. With no condemnation, by the way, God doesn't condemn. He's not here to condemn. It says that in John 3, he didn't come to condemn. He came to save. He said, you have not loved like Jesus. And you have not taught the people I have given you to love like Jesus. And so, we've got our work cut out for us. This is so important. I always thought I was pretty good at this, you know? But not compared to Jesus. And that's who we're to look to. That's who we're to fix our eyes on. Let me go back to the very beginning. Everything we do here begins and ends with God. Who God is. And the Bible's very clear about who God is. It says in John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, the one who does not love God, who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's his nature. And not only is that his nature, that's our nature. Because we were made in his image. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We were created to love and to be loved. It's that simple. It's our nature. And we desperately seek to be loved and to love. And so therefore, this basic commandment, even if it weren't our nature, it would still be the commandment of Christ. You remember what Christ said in John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So when the Lord came to me and said, you haven't loved like, like Jesus. There's still some room to go. There was no condemnation. There was a whole exciting additional component to who I would be in the future, who we would be in the future. Let me tell you how that unfolds, just the beginning of it. It is the nature of the kingdom. And that's what we're about. We're about fulfilling that part of Jesus' prayer that he taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is in the nature of the kingdom to expect to always be looking for the one who's not included. One of the scriptures that you had in your, as your text today comes from Luke chapter 15, verses four through eight. Look at how it begins. What man among you, who among you, 
If he had a hundred sheep and lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which was lost until he finds it. When he found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. In other words, that's the norm for the kingdom. Who among you wouldn't do that, Jesus is asking. I expect that that's what we're all about, right? Including the one that's not included? Not so much. Not so much. Because we've been taught to love in the wrong way. We've been taught to love for advantage and for affirmation. We stick around people to whom it is our advantage to love or people like us so that we can be affirmed in the way we think. But that's not the kingdom way of loving. That's not how the kingdom does it. I heard one time a story about a little boy in Sunday school class and, and uh, his teacher said, okay class, who's the first man? Boy's hand shot up. George Washington. Teacher said, no, it was Adam. The kid said, well, sure, if you want to count foreigners. In the kingdoms, we want to count foreigners. Because in God's eyes, there are no foreigners. Understand? God so loved the world. I loved it when Pastor Reggie last week, and, and I, I was online, I, I listened, I was online twice last week. I just loved last week. Service and, and, and the message and so And Pastor Reggie kept coming, no less than every tribe, no less than every tongue, no less than every nation. You, understand? you remember? Because it, it was in our original charter papers of why God formed a people for himself. Through you, every family of the earth will be blessed. No one's left out. No one. And when Jesus, after his resurrection, gave the great commission, Go ye therefore into all the nations, making disciples of all the nations. So it's not just no less than every nation, it's no less than every person that you know, watch this, and every person that they know. That's who we are to learn to love or to love in order to affect. Now, how do you love like that? How do you love like Jesus? What's the nature of love? Well, we're going to be unpacking that in, in, the, in the months that, that come. But a pretty good description is in 1 Corinthians 13, isn't it? I mean, people read this passage at weddings and it's their goal to love like this. But when you look at it, it's like, oh, that's pretty steep. That's a pretty steep standard. You remember how, it's, how it writes, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It's not arrogant or rude. 
It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at the wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, I would like to think that I love like that. But honestly, if you stick me, there are certain days that kindness comes out, but there are certain days that resent being stuck. And kindness doesn't come out. Patience? Oh, this don't even get started there with me. Irritable? Resentful? Arrogant? Rude? If I have to be honest, I'm going to say, that's not me yet. But if God is love, that's who God wants me to become. Now, how do I become that? How do we become patient and kind? Well, there's two ways. One is to know that God is at work in my life, helping me in a supernatural way to to become conformed to the image of Christ. This is what, what he knew when he called every one of you and when he calls the people he's still calling. It says in Romans 8, 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. It was always the vision of God that we would love like Jesus, always, that we would be like Jesus, always. And when it gets discouraging, and it always gets discouraging if you're, if you're honest with yourself, you've got to know this. You have an advocate with the Father. You have someone who's working in your heart to make your life come out better than you think it's coming out. I heard a story one time about a young artist. His father was a master artist and he wanted to live up to, to the skills of his father. And this young artist had wonderful skills himself. But he was so hard on himself. And every day when he would get done painting, whatever he was painting, he would look at it, he would be so discouraged. And he would say, maybe I shouldn't be an artist at all. It's terrible. And he would retire into bed. And when he would retire into bed, his father would sneak into the room and go up to the portrait, go up to the painting, and make the subtlest changes, a shade of light here, a stroke of the brush there. And when the sun got up in the morning and went back to the painting, he would look at it and he would say, well, this isn't as bad as I thought it was. Maybe I should keep on. Do you understand? You have someone when you're not paying attention who's making your life come out better than you think. You have an advocate, you have a father who comes in and adds what you could not add 
The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God at work in you. So there's some hope that God himself will be conforming us to the image of his son. But there's another way to be patient and kind, to love like Jesus loves. And that's to actually get to know the people we're supposed to love. This is what Jesus said about judgment. You know, we, we tend to jump to judgment to other people. And it, indeed, the Bible just says, don't judge. All right? But then the Bible in some places, I know you're going to judge. But if you're going to judge, watch this. It says in John chapter 7, verse 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. You know what? I told you what righteous means in the Bible, right? Righteous brings up, conjures up right or wrong. That's not what righteous means. You do a word study of the word righteous through the Hebrews and through the, through the Greek, through every passage in the Bible. Righteous is summed up in this phrase, meeting the demands of a relationship, whether with God or with man. Meeting the demands of a relationship. What's this verse saying? In order to judge someone accurately, you have to actually have a relationship with them. You can't judge unless you actually know the person who you're trying to evaluate, unless you know their story, unless you know what they've been through, unless you know what they're going through right now, you can't judge because all you have is appearance. And the Bible says you can't judge on appearance. If you judge, you actually have to listen. Let me ask you a question that I've asked myself. What do our evaluations do when we have them for other people? Do they make us more distant, putting someone else in a category, or do they make us closer to God and to them? See, this is what Jesus said in Matthew 22. When someone asked him what was the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments rest all the law and the prophets. You know what that means? That means when we take little snippets of scripture, as we tend to do, in order to justify our own opinion, or to condemn someone else for theirs, as we are infamous for doing. If that scripture doesn't fit into that goal of loving God better and loving them better, then it's an invalid interpretation. Because all the law and the prophets hang on those two verses. And every interpretation of Scripture, we tend to cut it up into little pieces. What does the Bible say about? It's automatically distorted when you do that. Because we're about the whole counsel of God, aren't we? It's not that what we believe is incorrect. It needs to be put in the context of loving God and loving our neighbor. And if it's not put in that context, it says in Galatians 5.14, the whole law can be summed up in this verse. 
Love your neighbors, you love yourself. And so I've got to ask you as I ask myself, what does that mean? It means that I've got to listen more and be opinionated less. Someone once said that our opinions become fixed at the point at which we quit thinking. I would add, they also become fixed at the point at which we quit loving. Years ago, I got a, a letter from somebody not in our congregation, about two people in our congregation. And I didn't know this person. The person signed the letter, so I read the letter. I don't ever read letters that are anonymous, so don't bother. It's a waste of paper. Um, I just don't, I, I, you know, if you, if you can't sign your name, I ain't reading your letter. So I don't read, but this one signed, and, I, and I, I didn't recognize him. I didn't know who he was. But he was accusing two people in our congregation of something. By the way, one of the people's favorite things is, is play sick the preacher on him. You know, it's kind of like when you were little and you didn't like something, you went and told the teacher, you know, and so you get, you know, and so people say, play, play sick the preacher all the time. I don't play along, but that's what they do. Go tell them how terrible they are. Well, this was an accusation against these two people, but there's a problem. I knew those two people. I'd walked in life with those two people. I knew their families. I knew who they were. I had spent time with those people. And this accusation was dead wrong. And so therefore, I knew he didn't know them. And I dismissed the accusation because I did know them. And their story formed a context into which to put that input. Do the accusations, watch this, in our head, lead us to find out more about someone or less about someone? That's a key factor. Because if the Bible says the whole law is summed up and love your neighbors yourself, then every accusation, every category ought to lead us to want to know someone's story, to listen to someone. And that's pretty important because every accusation is a prompting for ourselves. You know when it says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, okay, you know they're doing something wrong, okay, it's a trespass, boom. If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness each one looking to yourself. Remember when the woman was caught in the, in the act of adultery? Was she guilty? Sure. What did you, Jesus use that as an occasion for? Okay. Y'all without sin? Go ahead. Look into your heart. 
And everybody just dropped their stones and wandered off. Do you see how this works? Every time in our mind we're accusing someone of something, it's an invitation to look at ourselves. Each one look into yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love your neighbors, you love yourself. The whole law is summed up in that verse. Here's a key for me as I think this through for myself. The thing that really irritates me about other people is the very thing that God says I need. Do you ever think about that? I mean, it's not who's right and who's wrong because I've got something to offer too. I've been telling you for years now that all of you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Each of you knit together in your mother's womb perfectly because God made you for an offering to the world. He didn't make a mistake when he made you. All right? Here's the key. The key is, and Pastor Reggie said it last week, when God talks about the kingdom, is he just talking about this gray mass of people? No, he's talking about each individual person who's an addition to each person's life, and therefore we've got to learn from each other. Before we ever come to the categories of, of, of you know, who's right and who's wrong and all of that kind of stuff, Let's listen to each other. I was thinking years ago, um, um, <laughs> I was thinking of this the other day because I was traveling down the road and I saw one of these things. Years ago, they, 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 uh, um, John Gray wrote a book called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus or something like that. Or I, I always get the planets mixed up, but it was, it was of the differences between the way a lot of men think and a lot of where the, what a lot of women think, and 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 it really fit me to a T. <clears throat> now what my, I'm married to a person who's a kind of achiever person like I am, <clears throat> but she still thinks differently than I do, and 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 I am just I'm a get it done kind of guy. I'm a you go from point A to point B as quickly as possible with as few details, detours as possible. Just get it behind because your goal is just to get the goal done. All right? And so when we get in a car, you know, I want to go from point A to point B. If we have to stop and eat, let's do a drive through you know the worst, and I, and, and I was you know, reminded of this, the worst thing for a man ever invented as far as eating on the highway, Cracker Barrel. <laughs> Horrible idea for men because you have to go through a store with cute little, oh, look at this, in order to get to the food. And then after you get to, you got to go through the store in order to get out. Horrible ordeal. You know what you're in for because they've got rocking chairs on the porch when you're going in. 
You know, the whole idea of a rocking chair, you're not going anywhere. Feels like you're going somewhere, you're going nowhere. It's the character of a store. And I love my wife, and so I follow her around, and we look at cute stuff. I, my capacity for cute is about this big. But I love my wife. When we travel together, she thinks the journey is the important. Let's just pull off. This is so pretty. Let's just pull off and look around. What? <laughs> At what? We don't, we don't look at problems the same, you know? If, if your wife ever comes home and says, I just hate my job, the man will say nine times out of 10, there's an invitation, I just need to solve this. No, that's not what she's saying, but that's what you think she's saying. Most men will go, well, quit, find another job. End of story. Got that one behind us, what else you got? You know? You didn't hear. This was an invitation, ask me what happened today that I hate my job because I'm not looking for a solution. I'm looking for something that we can process together. Let's process this together. That's way, that's, that way, you understand, I want you men to understand, even after you think you've got it solved, she'll keep in it. She'll keep bringing it up. And you say, why are you talking about this? We solved it. No, there's some more we can learn from this. Oh. Men and women get sick different, you know? Men go one of two directions. We are either the biggest babies on the face of the earth. I can't get Can you feed it to me by arms, eh? Or, this is me, I'm sick, don't talk to me. I don't want you to see me like this, leave me alone, I'll get well, get back with you. Women many times will say, would you just sit with me? <laughs> what? Just sit with me. And I'm thinking, what can I do? You're sick, what am I, I'm nothing getting, what? <laughs> You understand, here's why God gave me this wife. Because I need to enjoy the process a little bit more. I'm missing a whole lot of stuff. I'm racing toward a goal and missing half of what I could enjoy. Do you understand why God gives us relationships that are so different? and why every relationship is important. So let me tell you the opposite of that. The opposite of that, the opposite of listening to someone's story is categorizing people. And whenever you categorize people, whenever you put somebody in a category, a clump, all right? The way I just did with men and women, that's it's a gross generalization. Because there's a whole spectrum. But whenever, whenever you're putting somebody in a clump, you're dehumanizing them, and you are avoiding the very thing that God wants you to teach, wants to teach you about them. Do you know how the Holocaust happened? The Holocaust. 
The Holocaust happened because the Nazis were successful in dehumanizing the Jews. When the extermination of the Jews first happened, the murder of the Jews, Nazi soldiers were having a horrible time with their consciences. I mean, they'd, they'd line them up and they'd shoot them down and they'd have nightmares and they felt guilt and they felt depression. But then the Jews began to be categorized as less than human, as vermin, as someone who wanted all of your money and had, had rigged world system to benefit themselves and, 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 and they were the very things that were wrong with the nation and then they put them all in a ghetto and then they put them in cattle cars where they had no place to go to the bathroom except where they were and then they would give them food just enough that they would fight over it like animals and finally, when they dehumanized them enough, they could be eliminated. Can I just say, I, this is offensive to say, but we do the same thing when we just categorize people so that we can dismiss them, so that we don't have to have compassion, so that we don't have to learn, so that we don't have to love. Because you see, the kingdom's definition of love is not like the world's. The world's definition of love is that it should give you some sort of advantage or affirmation. The kingdom's definition of love, seen in Jesus Christ, is that it should cost you something. Because that's what real love does, it costs. When you put someone's life ahead of your own, it costs. It says this in Romans chapter five, verse eight, when God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It goes on in John to say this, Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. And it's an exact picture of what Christ did for us. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you are going to be literally crucified for someone else? How many of you are even going to take a bullet for someone else? I mean, there are some times when people in the military, people in... in um, law enforcement or something are, are heroic and they have to lay their, literally lay their, their physical lives on the line so that someone else won't be hurt. And they are heroes. They are in the image of Christ. But this was to all of us. Greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life. Well, no person, no one than this, than they lay down their life for their friends. When will you ever have the opportunity to do that? And the answer is, in every conversation you have. See, most of our conversations 
have in the back of our minds our agenda for that conversation. Indeed, our agenda for that person. Can I just say this to you? If you go into a conversation without, with an agenda, you're not listening. You're not learning. You're not loving. You're just waiting for your turn to persuade them to be who you want them to be. Now, does that mean that there is no such thing as right and wrong? Absolutely not. Does that mean you have to stop being who you are? Absolutely not. But could we just for a while practice laying aside our own agenda? Laying aside our own judgments, laying aside our own categories in order to learn who someone really is. In order to listen to someone's story. In order to know what they've been through so that we can love them. So that we can love them. That's the goal. And that's the goal not only for them, that's the goal for God. Because this is the tricky part. <laughs> God is such a genius. He wove this into how we love him. See, everybody can say, I love God, hate this person, hate what they do. I don't want to hate the person. I hate, hate, you know, hate sin, love sinner. Yeah. Except when you say that, you really don't love the sinner. Because you're not with them the way Jesus was with us. You're not listening to them the way Jesus did with us. You're not taking on their burdens like Jesus did with us. So watch out when you say that. But the point is this. Our goal ultimately is to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And do you know what God did to us? He said, unless you learn to love each other, you'll never learn to love me like that. And unless you learn to love each other like, like they are, you will never learn to love me like I am. Because I'm not like you. It says in, in, in Psalm 50, verse 21, you thought I was like you. I'm not. So we have to learn to love differences in order to love a holy God. Someone very different than we are. This is, how, this is how the Bible puts it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Do you know what God has done for us? Do you know what God has done to us? He has made us serve an apprenticeship loving people before we become masters of loving him. When God came and said, you haven't loved like Jesus, what he was really saying was, you're pretty good at tolerating just about everybody. But that's not love. When Olivia sang, love came for me, 
boy, it ripped me up. Jesus came for you, just like you are, wherever you are. And he's looking for people who will do that. Tolerance is a poor substitute for love. Love your neighbor because it'll change you and it'll change those around you. It'll change the whole world.